He's always got a joke. Didn't say a good joke, but he's always got one. And I appreciate, I appreciate him and his sense of humor. Uh, I know what it was. Preacher didn't like my cup. And so now I'm offended and thirsty. That's all right. There's a backup cup. So we'll go with that. Ephesians chapter 2, this morning if you would, 
Ephesians chapter 2. And I, and I do try to, if I offend people, just to offend everyone. <laughs> I want anybody to feel singled out or picked on or anything. Uh, we live in a nation of picked on people. And so I just try to pick on everybody, and that makes it all better. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a product of how I was raised. And so it's my parents' fault. Just blame them. And uh, they're not here, so we can blame them easily. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. You know, I was, I was talking to uh, Sherry the other night. And uh, I don't know if any of you have this habit of um, texting yourself. Anybody do that? Okay. One. Thank you, Miss Carol. I feel worse now. No. <laughs> I have a habit of texting myself because I always answer. <laughs> but uh, if I have a thought or if I had, because I'm bad about remembering stuff, and if I don't write it down, and a lot of times I don't have a pen and paper, so I'll text myself something. So I, the other night we were, we were sitting there getting ready for bed, and I had this wonderful thought come to me, a, a scriptural truth. I mean, it was great. So I, I pulled up my phone, I opened it, I punched in my number real quick, hit send, and it didn't come through. I thought, well, that's strange. I always answer myself when I text myself. And I looked, I went back to the message, and I realized I had sent it to 1754, not 1654. And so I don't know who got that text, but it was really good. And yet they did not answer. And so, I don't know if y'all do that or not. That's kind of something I do. Um, but when I text you, answer me. No, because <laughs> that offends me. So anyhow, this person, they got a text, and Sherry goes, well, did they answer you? I said, no. And it was really good. I mean, if I'd gotten that random text from a stranger about something in the Bible, I'm sure I would have answered them as well. But anyhow, um, that's just something I do. And then I've also found out something. Uh, how many of you use talk to text? Where you say, hey Siri, send so-and-so message, and then you repeat it. And it repeats it back to you. Well, and I said, hey Siri, and my iPad is now answering me. Um, it also has a problem when I say my wife's name, it'll answer me as well. Uh, but that's a whole different set of circumstances. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll do that. And I use y'all a lot. And it has learned how to spell it. I've taught my iPad how to spell y'all. But I can't teach it how to pronounce it. Because my iPad has the voice of a female Irish person. <laughs> it just seemed appropriate. I don't know. And uh, it says, why all? when it repeats my message back to me. So I sent a, a message to somebody the other day. I said, hey, just want to know how y'all are doing. And it said, you're now sending a message to so-and-so. And then it repeated and said, why all? And I looked at it and said, why can't you just say y'all? And I forgot it was Irish. So anyhow, yeah. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> the really, really, my water getting spilled is just throwing me off my game. And so <clears throat> we'll, we'll see how we can get back to anything after this. Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read the first 13 verses of this chapter, and then look uh, at a couple of words out of this and then go through. And I, and I hope this will be a blessing to you this morning, because uh, that's, that's why uh, we, we have this, is to number one, glorify God, but then also to feed the people of God, but then also that if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that they would hear the gospel. And so we just pray that if you're here this morning and you don't know 
Jesus Christ, that through the message this morning you would find him. Uh, chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, in verse number 1, the Bible tells us, And you hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had uh, our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And then I want you to see these two words here, and we'll come back to them. And in verse number four, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, or ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Verse number 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in the time past Gentiles, and that word Gentile means anyone that is not a Jew, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, in the flesh made by hands, that that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And so if you'll look with me there in verse number four, I want to preach a message uh, this morning that, that God spoke to my heart about. Those two words there, but God, but God. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we do thank you for this time that uh, we have set aside to gather together on your day, the Lord's day. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless this time together and be in this message. Lord, I pray that what's said would be pleasing to you. What's done would be pleasing to you. And Father, I pray that if there is one this morning that doesn't, know your son is their savior. If they've never asked Jesus Christ to come in their heart and save them from their sins, Lord, I pray that they could get that settled this morning. And we'll thank you for that. Be with our junior church, be with our deaf church as they meet around your word as well, and bless them and those workers that are working there. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, what's interesting as we read through the word of God, we come upon uh, phrases and words and things, and we read them hundreds of times, and yet, for whatever reason, all of a sudden, one will pop out to us. And as I was reading through uh, the Bible and, and looking at different things, I come upon this phrase, but God. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Because a lot of times I hear that from people, but, preacher, or, or but, and, and it's always whatever I've said before that, they're trying to change what I say after that. You understand? This word, but, is a conjunction, and that is a, a word. I'm not an English scholar, but I have the Internet, so therefore I can be an English scholar thanks to Wikipedia. And but is a conjunction, and what it does, it, conjoin, it conjoins two phrases that are oftentimes of different meanings, but they're brought together by one. 
What we find here in Ephesians chapter 2 is God is speaking to us about the state of our soul, the state of who we are, until we get to the two-word phrase, but God. And then afterwards, he takes and he turns exactly what he said before, 180 degrees, and points us in a different direction. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy. He said, for all that you had done prior to this two-word phrase, God is wanting to change to something else. He said, you were wicked, you were undone, you're, you weren't part of the covenant of promise, you were out of, uh, you were considered Gentiles, you're uh, uncircumcised, you're, you're basically in no way related to God. And then he says, but God. Why? Because of his mercy and because of his love. He wants to, you know, there have been times in my life where I've been on one path and then all of a sudden they're dropped right down in the middle of that path, a but God. And it turned my path. And it set me on a different path. Uh, when, when I was a young man, uh, just about 13 years of age, I was in a church much like this church. And, and matter of fact, it was about the same, except it was a light blue instead of a... This. Burgundy purplish. <laughs> I call it part few purple. And I sat there and I heard the preacher preach. And God convicted my heart. And you know what that moment was? That was a but God doing something in my life. And I came forward to right about here on that, that platform, much like this platform. And I knelt at that altar. And my dad, who happened to be the pastor of that church, came down and said, would you like the assistant pastor to deal with you? I said, no, the assistant pastor is no good. <laughs> we all know that. I said, no, Dad, I want you to deal with me. And he said, what, what's, what's, what's the problem? I said, I need to get saved. And I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. See, God wants to drop these little, this little phrase into our life and say, hey, the path that you're on is not the path you need to be on, but God is willing to do something to change it. And the first thing that I see here is, but God, save me. But God, save me. It says there in Ephesians chapter 2, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. You see, that, that little word, uh, uh, but there, it, it brings together, and uh, whenever we find it in the Scripture, but God, it is, it is changing the course of a life. And that's what God does. That's what God wants to do. And so we find that, that He wants to save us. He wants to drop a time into our life that says, but God changed me. The Bible says, uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What that, that is a but God moment in your life where he is changing you and saving you. The Bible tells us over in uh, chapter 5 of the book of Romans, verse number 6, he says, For when you are yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? That was me before I got saved. He says, uh, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare die. But God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for me, for you. He said, but God 
commends his love. What is that? That means he, he opened up the storehouse of his love and gave it all to us in Jesus Christ. He, he said, you know what? And, and the Bible tells us, we, we touched on this in Sunday school, before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. Before, before there was a sin problem, God had an answer. He wasn't caught off guard by man's fall in the garden. He wasn't caught off guard by the fact that, that there would be sin. No, he had the answer already prepared. And he said, before you even had a problem, I had an answer, and I have given my love for you in the form of my son and sending him to die upon the cross. It's amazing to me that God would take the time to deal with someone such as I. You know, we sing that song that God would love a sinner such as I. We sing it, but do we, do we hear it? Do we, do we understand it? Do we feel it? Do we know it? That God took time to love us, to save us. There was a witness in my life. I remember that day uh, as, as my dad preached. And I don't remember what was preached. I don't know what he said, but I knew that I was a sinner on my way to hell, and I needed a Savior. I mean, I grew up in a pastor's home. Now, usually those are the worst kids. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It goes pastors, kids, missionaries, kids, deacons, kids. That's just the way it is. And then uh, unwashed heathen. No, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, normally the, the pastor's kids are some of the worst kids you'll run into. And everybody thinks they're perfect. They're not. They got to have Jesus just like everybody else. Being a pastor doesn't save my children. Knowing God myself doesn't save my children. They have to know God themselves. And maybe you say, well, my, my grandpa knows God or my grandma knows God or, or maybe my, my, my aunt knows God or my mom knows God. That does, that's great. But God wants you to know Him. And you have to have a relationship with God. And you have to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your mama can't pray for you. Your daddy can't pray for you to get saved and, and you be saved. They can pray and, and hope that God and, and pray that God will open your eyes, but you have to make the choice yourself. And so there was a but God moment in my life where there was a witness and, and God began to work in my life and the Spirit moved and convicted me of my sin. And I got saved. You think I'm offensive now. Just think what I would be if I wasn't saved. But God saved me. And then the second thing that I see here, another but God moment, is over in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll read it to you here real quick. And I thought Brother Paul was going to steal my thunder there. But God sealed me. See, in verse number 8 of Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God. Now, what's, what's important there is the punctuation marks because that thing is chock full of semicolons and colons. And, and, and I mean, those things break up thoughts and say, this is a thought, this is a thought, this is a thought. And he's saying there, for by grace are you saved through faith. Thought. And that not of yourselves. Stop and think about that. It is the gift of God. Think about that. Then he goes to the next verse, he says what? Not of works, comma, pause for a moment, lest any man should boast, period. 
He said, you can't do it on your own. You've got to have Jesus. And after you get saved, you can't do it on your own. You've got to have Jesus. And the Spirit seals us over in 1 Thessalonians. It says, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despises, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. God says, hey, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going, to, I'm going to save you, but then also, but God is going to seal me. He's going to drop His Spirit right into my life. And i got to be careful now because I have Him living inside me. But He drops the Spirit into my life what for, for protection. For protection. We, we, we need help as we live through this, this wicked, wicked world. Uh, the Bible says, uh, as a roaring lion... Uh, Satan, as a roaring lion, walked about seeking whom he may devour. He's saying, hey, you have an enemy, you have an adversary, you have uh, Satan who's coming after you, you have the world who wants to infect you with uh, the wickedness that they might have, and then you have your flesh, which is that old man that once you get saved, hey, you got a new, your, your spirit, your, your soul is quickened and revived, but you still got that old flesh that wants to do wrong. And that's where we need help. And, and God says, hey, I'm going to seal you to the day of redemption. You can't lose your salvation. You can't, you know, uh, the Bible tells us that we're, we're in the palm of the hand of God. Now, the palm of the hand of God is what he measures out the stars with. So I don't know about you. I'm not a runner. I, I, I try to run sometimes when it's warm just for health's sake. But I'm neither a sprinter nor a marathon runner. So there's really no, I like to drive wherever I go. If I go golfing, I want a cart. Uh, and I want to be able to drive the cart to the ball. A cart path only rules, I hate those. You know, I mean, come on. But I, I'm not a runner. But even the best marathon runner, these guys that run the New York Marathon in like 10 minutes or whatever, it's ridiculous. They couldn't run themselves in a lifetime out of the hand of God. Why? Because he, he spaces the stars with his hands. So if, 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 if that's how big the palm of the hand of God is, what makes us think that we can get rid of our salvation? What makes us think that, that the God of the universe who commendeth his love towards us, that gave his son to die for us, to save us, that overcame death and hell and the grave and is victorious and has saved my soul. What makes me think that I can undo that? Amen. that, that I mean, I, I might offend you again, but that's just dumb. I mean, honestly, to think that I can undo what God has done. The creator of the world. The master of the universe. That he's so powerful yet weak that when he saved me, he can't keep me. I mean, where do we, where do we get that? But God has saved me. And God has sealed me until the day of redemption. Was that? When, when he brings me home. I like what I've heard many preachers say. Our preacher said it. I'm so saved, it's pitiful. I mean, I, I, 
I couldn't get unsaved if I wanted to. And I don't want to. So we see that he has saved us and, and sealed us for security. He sealed us for separation. He wants us to be separate. He, he's made us different. He says we're a peculiar generation. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, the Lord knoweth them that are his. In 2 Corinthians, we know this, this is a trusty old verse, but we pull it out often. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. I mean, he's saying, hey, you're supposed to be different. You know, when God dropped uh, salvation in the midst of my life and he said, but God saved me and then but God sealed me, he set me on a different path and he has something different for me to do now. And we, you know, we, we, we appreciate salvation. It gets us a, a ticket to heaven, gets us out of hell, gets us some mildly good friends or whatever if we're part of a good church. I mean, but God has so much more than that for us and so much more than he wants to do in us. Then the third thing that I, that I saw as I was reading through uh, these verses and, and, and looking at this phrase throughout the Bible, uh, the, that, that two-word phrase, but God, it, it happens 43 times throughout the course of the entire Bible. And it's always in conjunction with God changing the course of someone's life. That, that As we saw there in, here in Ephesians, uh, he's talking about changing the course of our future from being lost and wicked and undone to being saved and holy and having a home in heaven. And in verse number 6 of Ephesians chapter 2, he says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what's, what's interesting when, that I saw about this is that when we sit together with people, we generally speak to those people we're sitting with. When, when we sit down, and, and it says here that he hath raised us up to, to sit with him in heavenly places. Why? Because he wants to speak to us. See, I, I found another passage where it says, but God, and, and this is what I saw in that passage in 1 Corinthians uh, he says uh, down through there in chapter 6, of, uh, verse number 10, he's speaking about uh, the man, uh, men, people understanding the Word of God. He says in verse number 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. What He saved us. He sealed us with His Spirit. And then through His Spirit, He speaks to us. He says, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, say the spirit of a man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Why does God want to speak to me? He saved me. He sealed me. Now why does he want to speak to me? Well, I need sustenance. The Bible says, uh, Jesus told Satan in the wilderness, he said, man shall not, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Father. We need God to speak to us through his word to feed our souls. We have a lot of anemic Christians in today's Christianity because they're not in the word and they're not in prayer. And a lot of times they're not in church. 
And so they're not getting any food. They're not getting fed anything. And their spirit, their, their soul is, is starving. They're feeding it the wrong stuff. You know, you go to the, I'll be honest, I used to enjoy going to the grocery store with my wife. And we use the click list now from Kroger. And it takes all the fun out of it because, A, I don't know what we're getting. And B, we're not getting the Oreos like we used to. But, you know, we'd walk through the store, and uh, I'd be like, ooh, that looks good. And you never go to the store hungry is what they say, because you'll spend more money and you'll get food that's not good for you. And, and, and you know, you all know I like food. I mean, it's just the way it is. I've told you all that a few times. And you know what kinds of food I like, because I've shared that as well. And, but you go to, the, go to the grocery store, and uh, you're, you're walking down the aisle, and you see something that looks good. And it's a Swiss cake roll. Anybody like Swiss cake rolls? You know how to eat a Swiss cake roll? I'll share this with you real quick. We'll just take a, a moment. You take that and you take the wrapper off, you know, and then you, you peel it slowly and you eat it layer by layer and work your way around to you have just a little layer in the middle of cake with cream. It's really good. Nutter butter bars. We'll stop right there for a minute. You put those in the freezer, all right, for about two hours. Then you get them out and you peel them apart slowly, layer by layer, and you eat them that way. I'm a little Debbie, uh, you know, connoisseur. Uh, they're good stuff. But you know what? They're not good for you. But I like them. Somebody texted me the other day about something. I said, isn't it funny that the stuff that you really like normally isn't that good for you? You know. Oreos, an entire pack dipped in an entire gallon of milk. They're good. Not good for you. What do we do with our soul? We give it everything in the world. Everything that, that is, the world has to offer, we, 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 we feed it, we feed it, we, we pull out our phone from the moment we wake up, and, and we're, we're, we're scrolling, we're scrolling, we're feeding, we're feeding, we're, we're, we're news, we're sports, we're, we're videos, we're YouTube, we're, we're everything in the world. And expect a proverb a day to keep the world away. And yet we say, you know, God never speaks to me. I wonder why. You ever try to talk to somebody that's on their phone all the time? How about throwing a book? <laughs> Can you imagine God wanting to speak? And it's not that he's not speaking. It's just we're not listening. We're not hearing. We're not heeding. We're not saying, God, Feed me something from the message this morning or, or, or feed me something from the Sunday school this morning or even feed me something from the Sunday school lesson I'm about to teach. You know, it ought not just be for our students. It ought to be for the teacher. It, 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 it ought not be just that we're singing for the church, but that that song is, is speaking to my, not my soul because I don't sing, but to the soul of the person sharing that song. God, feed me. God, speak to me. Why? Because we need sustenance. We got to have it. 
or we'll be like the normal Christian that has no spiritual life, wants a convenient Christianity. Just let the church wait on me, and that's it. Instead of what can I do for God? And that's the last thing that I see here is, but God set me on a path. Look at verse number 10 there with me in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for we are his workmanship. Then he wants us to pause right there with that comma and, and understand that, that that children's song that they sing, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Amen. He, he never gets done working on us. I went to that funeral uh, of Pastor Frederick yesterday, and, and at age 77, you could see by what they said about him and what they, they talked about him was that he knew that God was still working on him to the day of his death. God's never done working on a Christian to make us who we ought to be. And he says, therefore, we are his workmanship, what? Created in Christ Jesus. We already mentioned the verse, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Then he goes on, he says, created in Christ Jesus, what? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So you take verse number 9, he says, not of works, talking about our salvation. We're not saved by works. And he goes right into verse number 10 saying, listen, just because you're not saved by works doesn't give you an excuse not to do good works. Because God wants us to be set on his path for service. In Romans chapter 6, he says, but God be thanks, in chapter 6, verse number 17 But God be thanks, another but God moment here, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became what? The servants of righteousness. He said you're no longer the servant of sin, you're now the servant of righteousness. What does a servant do? He serves. He serves. See, I've had these moments in my life where God has done things in my life and He saved me, He he sealed me, He speaks to me through His Word, He works in my heart, but He set me on a path upon which I must walk in service for Him. There was, I was thinking the other day um, about how God changed my life completely. Uh, One of those but God moments and It was sitting in a a dormitory at the uh, Public Safety Training Center in in Macon, Georgia. Well, Forsyth, Georgia, really, but Macon's the closest town. And I had a path that I was wanting to walk on. And I was wanting to become a state trooper. And you all know the story. I was wanting to become a state trooper so I could pull over Yankees and write them tickets and make them get eat up by the the sand nats, and all that kind of stuff. It's all good, good ideals. But God had a different idea. And when I walked out of that place after being there for a couple weeks of training and, and uh, had failed a test and, and they, they put me out, I was devastated. But God was doing a work. For what? For service. See, we look at times like that in our lives and we think, man, how could God fail us then? How could God let us down then? But God was wanting to do something entirely different. 
See, in that moment, he was wanting me to be a servant to righteousness. What I, what I wanted to do was not a bad thing for the person that God wanted to do that. But for me, it was not. Because I was going directly against the will of God. And so God dropped it right there in my lap and said, No, this is the path that I want you to go on. You know what that path has included? My wife. Seems like a pretty good path. My children. This church. My friends that I have now. Thank God that there was a moment that he said, you're going to serve me. And he dropped that into my life. And I look back at that and I said, I was going this way. But God turned me this way. As I was looking through this and and, and studying some uh, yesterday afternoon and and praying about some things, I, I read through this passage and he said, created unto good works. And then I looked at a cross reference passage about God wanting us for His service. And, and, and God began to speak to my heart. See, God didn't set me on this path to wander along aimlessly with no guidance, with no calling. He called me to live in Christ Jesus. And God set me on this path to serve Him with the talents and the abilities that He gave me. And a cross-reference passage that goes along with uh, verse number 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 is 2 Timothy 1.9. It says, Who hath saved us, And called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according, now listen to this phrase, to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. I thought, well, that's interesting. But what does that word purpose mean? So I I like to do this, and sometimes I'll get on rabbit trails and I'll chase things and and, and I, I looked up that word purpose. Well, the Greek word for that is prothesis, which means a setting forth. It means to take something and set it forth. It wasn't exactly what I thought it would mean. And then as I looked further, it's used 12 times in the New Testament. Eight times it is translated the word purpose. But four times through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's translated as showbread. Showbread. And I'm like, what in the world does purpose have to do with showbread? And I got to looking at that. And then I looked at the context in which these words showbread were used. Do you know when they were used throughout the New Testament? How many of you remember the story of David running from Saul and he stops at the tabernacle? And what does the priest give him? Showbread. I thought, well, that's interesting. But what it says every time is he was not supposed to have it. I got to thinking about that. God gave me a purpose. From before the world began. To do something that I should, by all rights, not be able to do. Because I'm a Gentile, and I was outside 
of the covenants of God. But in the New Testament, we have this thing called grace. And the purpose that we find that God's calling us to, we can now do because of grace. And where the law would not let us, grace allows. And the purpose that I should not be able to fulfill, God allows. He said, I've called you to my purpose, which by yourself, without me, you cannot, will not do. But because it's his purpose, not mine, I can do it because of grace, because of his mercy, because of his love. Why? Because God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved you. But God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Perhaps you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. God wants to change that. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, I can't do what God wants me to do. He can change that. Why? Because it's not about you doing what God wants to do. It's about allowing God to do through you what he wants done. I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to have anything to do with the ministry. But God gave me a different purpose. But God gave me a different calling. And, and thank God that he can work in our lives and do what nobody else can do. Why? We go back to 2 Corinthians. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You know what comes along with being a new creature? It tells us all old things have passed away, all things have become new. You get a new purpose. You get a new walk. You get new friends. You get a new family. Everything is new from that but God saved you moment. So what about it this morning? Is there, maybe there's one here this morning that, that, that doesn't know Christ. Let him put that in your life. Let him change your life 180 degrees and turn you from the path that you're on of destruction and, and, and hell and, 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 and an unknown future and, and uncertainty to turn you to a path of salvation and, and, and life. And the Bible says that he came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. And I mean, all these things that he wants to do if we'll just accept him and allow him to drop that two-word phrase, that little conjunction into our life that takes and turns us from one extreme to another. But God. Have you had a but God moment in your life? Perhaps you have. You ought to thank God. I'm thankful for the times that God stopped me and turned me completely around. From the times that God said, no, 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 that's not what I want you to do. That's not the way you ought to go. And turn me around to go the way that he wanted me to go. Will we allow him 
to drop that moment in our life and change us for the better. Let's pray. Father, we come to you.